I'd like to uh, begin <coughs> by thanking you for praying for me. Um, uh, about hmm, four or five weeks ago, I had a couple of small lumps come up in the groin, went to the doctor, who didn't think it was amounted to much, sent me to the hospital, and it was diagnosed as high-grade, non-something or other, um, lymphomia. Lymphomia. Uh, right. <laughs> And I said, do you mean cancer? And he said, well, yeah, that's what I've just told you. That um, <laughs> didn't mean a lot to me. Anyway, he said, it is curable. So they've uh, put me on chemotherapy, which uh, I don't like at all. Um, and Tuesday, um, Edna and I are having a day out. We're going to the Conquest Hospital at about 10 o'clock. <laughs> uh, I'm going to see the specialist. Um, to tell, he'll tell me how things are going. And then in the afternoon... She is going to have a scan because they think she needs a hysterectomy, probably in early December. So we all hit these bad times and this seems to be ours. So uh, we'll probably be dining on the ten, in the 1066 restaurant at midday before we start our second session. So uh, thank you. I know Jim told you about the situation, so uh, um, I do appreciate um, your prayers. Thank you. Um, I never come here without waiting on the Lord. I don't sort of start ferreting around and digging about. And uh, I got rather a surprise because I felt very strongly that he wanted me to talk to you about pluralism. Now, if you're not sure what pluralism is, pluralism is um, lots of people believe that God's at the top of the mountain and the Hindus are coming up that path. Uh, the animists are coming up here, the Buddhists are coming up here, the Christians over here, and they all happily meet at the top, no problems. They all get to God in their own particular way. Now, this, I'm afraid, has been taken up by a number of quite sane Christians. Who, you know, because of their concern for other religions, think that so that is the answer. You know, we, we're all going the same way, really. But I'm afraid it's totally against the teaching of the Bible. And um, there are one or two things I want to read to you um, uh, just to explain this. So, um, uh, one of the churches that we used to go to, <coughs> the person who was most prominent in it, very strongly felt this. And she used to almost preach it. And uh, it was quite sad. You know. She was told and warned, but nonetheless, she's felt that was the only way. Um, it was out of a sense of kindness, really, but you can't. You know, God is God, and uh, he, he won't have that sort of thing, I'm afraid. Right, I'm going to read from Isaiah 43. Israel got into awful trouble back in Isaiah's time. Uh, Judah was okay. But Isaiah were into all kinds of bad things. And this is the word that came to Isaiah. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, 
the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I'll bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of them foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right so that others may hear and say, It is true, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Saviour. So God made it quite clear that there is one God, the living God. He is the one that can save, and it's no good going to any other source whatsoever. Verse 10 says, Before me no God was formed, nor would there be one after me. And verse 11, Apart from me there is no saviour. Um, some of you may take the, our daily journal, I don't know, Edna and I have read it for some years now, and on Monday, the October the 22nd, there was an article on pluralism and Jesus, and I, I couldn't do better than this. It says, my friend was telling me about a tour of historic churches. These buildings housed congregations that once proclaimed the gospel, but had long ago turned to unorthodox views. In one church, the tour guide explained that wooden shutters concealed a beautiful stained glass window of Jesus. We only open these shutters on Easter, she explained, because we don't want to privilege any other religion over another. So although it was a church, they shut the stained glass window off uh, so they wouldn't upset anyone that came in that wasn't a Christian. Today, many Christians feel uncomfortable saying that Jesus is the only way to God. A recent survey found that 47% of evangelical Christians agreed with the statement that many religions can lead to eternal life. Another poll found that 20% of evangelical Christians believe that if a person is sincerely seeking God, he or she can obtain eternal life through religions other than Christianity. If these surveys are reliable, then between one-fifth and one-half of born-again Christians believe that people can be saved without being born again. They love their unsaved friends and don't want to exclude them for having different beliefs. But here's the thing. The same arms that pull these religions in must also push Jesus out. We can't declare that other religions have the power to save without also admitting that Jesus' sacrifice was unnecessary. 
Augustine explained that if anyone can be saved apart from Jesus, then Christ has died in vain. Would Jesus have suffered on the cross if he didn't believe it was essential for our salvation? When we suggest that people can be saved by sincerely following their religion, we imply that Jesus and his sacrifices are not important or necessary. We can't love Jesus and endorse other religions. We must choose. Now at the end of this they say, what would you say to a friend who asks you to accept her religion just as she accepts yours? How can you show people that you respect them but cannot accept their beliefs apart from Jesus? So you get these folk who, perhaps particularly nowadays, and strangely enough among the troops in Afghanistan, Buddhism has crept in. And a lot of the soldiers are beginning to think that Buddhism is the way they're looking for. But this is saying to you, what do you say to such a person who says, well, I can accept your Christianity. No. <coughs> are, you going, <coughs> excuse me, are you going to accept my Buddhism? <coughs> I think I've got rid of that frog. <laughs> Yes. I haven't seen the film, obviously. No, no I'm not into it. <laughs> and um, she calls um, um, Buddha and things of other gods. So I guess that's a bit more than me, God, but yeah. that's for me. But she calls also calls Jesus an avatar. Not God, but Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but this is not going to be in the period. What I believe, you know, I'm just trying to understand. Okay. No, you've made a practical point, actually, and you've got to obviously think about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think about it, really. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> now, this is echoed in Ephesians 4, where it says. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. If you go to the Ten Commandments, which is a very basic uh, rule of course, it makes it quite clear. It says you shall have no other gods before me. So for Christians there is no other way. There is no other God before me. 
To address the, the uh, matter of people who do not know the living God, we read in Romans 2, you might find this of interest, Indeed, when Gentiles do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Now that's quite a statement. Their consciences also bear witness, and their thoughts, now accusing, now even defending them. Now a footnote in the Bible that I use is the Bible for Spirit-Filled Living says, God has given all people a moral instinct by creation, though repeated sin or cultural acceptance may distort their understanding. The point is that people will be judged according to the revelation they have. So these people, by very basic nature, by creation, um, they've been given a conscience and they, they know good from evil um, and they can listen and hear and take things in. Uh, but Paul is making that point that they will be judged by the revelation they have now, this doesn't contradict. It's rather strange. I didn't ask for that Romans reading that was brought this morning. It's rather, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's rather fortunate, I suppose, that was read because that makes the point that you've got to witness. You've got to witness everywhere and try to give these people a full understanding of Christ. So you've got that into the same book of Romans and this is also by Paul saying that they'll be judged according to the revelation they have. So unless they're absolutely wicked and ignore their consciences, there's more hope for the Hindus, etc. than we might think. But we mustn't entertain letting them think that they're going towards God through their religion because that's not the way they will get there. And they can go by their conscience or what they must do is accept Jesus Christ because he is the only saviour uh, for all of us. So there's no excuse for pluralism because of the poor Muslim or poor Hindu. You can't, you know, you can't take that attitude. Oh, poor chap, he's a Muslim. Um, you know, he, 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 as I've already explained, he's had a revelation by creation and he will hear in, during the Iraqi war, a number of Arabs roaming about the desert picked up passages from the Bible. Now, nobody knows how they got there, but they were so appropriate to their situation that they became Christians, and a lot of the Iraqi Christians sprang out of that. Now, that was God-given. I mean, our troops didn't go out chucking passages of the Bible around or anything like that, and if they did in the desert... They would long ago have been eaten or by an animal or something or other. I'd like to refer to the book of the prophet Hosea. It's not a much read book, but it was 750 years before Christ. In the book, the situation of Israel is described. Now, you may find this sounds familiar. Outwardly successful, enjoying peace, plenty and prosperity. Everything in the garden was rosy. But disaster was looming with anarchy underneath and within a few years political collapse occurred. 
Hosea describes the social conditions of his day. Corrupt leaders, unstable family life, widespread immorality and class hatred. Now do they ring a bell today? <laughs> look at our politicians. Uh, look at our MPs, the way they fiddled the books and goodness knows what else. Uh, everything that was happening to um, Israel in Hosea's day is going on now only much magnified, I regret to say, whereas it may have been a, a few shekels in his day, we're talking the billions of these days, which are fiddled without concern. People don't need to have a conscience at all about it. Hosea teaches two lessons. One, it's important to depend on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And two, negative things happen when the Holy Spirit is missing from life. So without the Holy Spirit, we're, yes, we're going to run into all these kinds of trouble. So, summing up, we need to be opposed to pluralism, the belief that all roads lead to God, and to lean heavily on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 34 says, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And that's a very... Um, active instruction. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We've been talking today particularly about peace and it's really up to us to show a good example. In this village, in your family, I mean all these things can create a peaceful situation in town councils and above all I suppose in um, governments. Um, it horrifies me with all the deaths in Afghanistan that our dear Prime Minister has been to Jordan and sort of almost shouted across the border, we're going to support the rebels. Now, I don't want to see any more of our troops dying for anybody else. We really should come home. But there we are. For whatever reason, I don't know. But uh, I think Mr Cameron will rue the day that he made that statement. Um, I don't want to say any more. Um, I'd just like to pray... Um, and then conclude. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing to our attention that business of pluralism. Thank you that there is one God, and that's you, and that our way is towards you, Lord. It's not for us to be unkind to others, Lord, but to educate and, uh, and to teach them wherever we can, to set by example. In quoting Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.